details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. Another journey into the agonizing pain in which I live every day. Michael Groff in exile for a Tuesday, February 16th, 2010. Broadcasting to you from this America's fifth largest city, Phoenix, Arizona. That's where we do this podcast to y'all from most every day, or at least as frequently as I can stomach doing it. It's not that I actually don't like doing it. It's just sometimes I do lack the motivation. Listen, uh, depression does that to you, okay? Uh, just how it is. Hey, look, I, I imagine it could be worse, and that's what people try to tell me. That's that's what people say when they try to console you is, hey, Mike, you know, it could be worse. And, you know, I, I guess that's supposed to be, I, I suppose that's good advice or that's very well intended, but I guess I could counter with it could be better, right? Anyway, never mind all that. I was just looking at the unemployment numbers. See that? So babe, you could... You could try and defend that by saying, hey, 9.7% unemployment, it could be worse. But tell that to a guy that doesn't have a job right now. Unbelievable. All right, we have a lot of stuff to get into. By the way, welcome in. Yes, my name is Michael Groff. That's why we call the program Michael Groff in Exile. It's in Exile because that's where I am. I am an isolated soul, an island onto myself. Abandoned by humanity, but broadcasting across the digital spectrum. That's what I do each and every weekday 
as much as I can. There's actually a lot to talk about. I, I you know, I got into it a little bit on Friday, and um, people thought I didn't really do it justice. I did talk about the Olympic loser, the Luger. <laughs> Some people say that died on Friday, and we have to talk about that, and we have to talk about a little bit about the Olympics. I don't really want to get into it too much because I generally don't care. That said, I do have to talk a little bit about this story because it is kind of interesting, and the fact that Canada can't seem to do the Olympics right. Well, then, again, what would you expect? I, I, well, I'll tell you... I'll keep my comments to myself, I suppose. All right. Our contact information for the program, you want to get in touch with me, mike at kmgx.com, my email address. I just cleared out 2,200 spams. It's mike at kmgx.com, AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Graf Show, the screen name. You can always leave a message, and sooner or later I'll get around to it. Um, EFNet, IRCNet Radio, the channel. I'm on Facebook. All of our contact information and more available at michaelgraf.com. So I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the Olympic situation, the Olympic thing. We'll get to that. Also... Um, well, uh, Ahmadinejad, uh, once again, the Iranians uh, say that there will be war by summer, war with Israel by summer. Uh, they are not going to stop their nuclear ambitions. This is not uh, new news. This is something that the Iranians have been talking about for a long time. They have no desire to drop their nuclear ambitions, and we, I guess, have no desire to stop them. And we have no desire to tell anybody else to stop them. Uh, I, I, as I understand it, Barack Obama is telling China to tell Saudi Arabia to tell Iran to stop their nuclear ambitions. I suppose that's sort of the chain of command. Rather than what, what a real president, what a real leader should do is just instead of writing a sternly written letter, instead of saying to the Iranians, instead of trying this diplomatic uh, tactic, which we know isn't going to work, we're trying diplomacy. We've tried diplomacy. Diplomacy never works. Uh, when you try, have you ever tried diplomacy with a three-year-old? Have you tried to sit down with a three-year-old and reason with them as to why they shouldn't do something? All right, now I, 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 I've tried it before. It doesn't work. Well, um, if uh, it, you know, you can't eat all the cookies right now because if you do, then you know you'll spoil your dinner. I want the cookies now. Well, you can't. See, you can't reason, you can't rationalize with the irrational is the point here. And the Iranians have proven that they are indeed irrational. So uh, I've read plenty of silly little comments by people uh, all across the net uh, who are, well, who, who's the United States to have the authority to tell anybody what they can and can't do? Who are we? Who is the United States? Who the hell are we? Well, um, I think it's not just the United States that has a problem with the Iranians acquiring nuclear capabilities. I believe that the six members, uh, the six permanent members of the UN Security Council, China included, unfortunately, they probably have a bit of a problem as well. I, I know that several other countries that not on the UN Security Council have a problem with it. Uh, Israel certainly has a problem. 
Even some of the European community, the wonderful, happy, socialist European community has a problem with the Iranians acquiring nuclear weapons because they see what the issue here is. They see it as as soon as the Iranians get it, they can use it as a bargaining chip. They can do whatever they want. They're one of the big boys on the block now. And they can bully their way around and don't think for a moment they won't. And uh, there's news out now that the Iranians are planning to move toward a... Uh, a uh, dictatorship, a uh, a more controlling uh, sort of dictatorship. They're just going to get rid of any anybody that opposes them whatsoever. Uh, a little bit on that later. Speaking of dictatorships, I, I just have to point this out. Um, Debbie Stabenow, the, uh, the illustrious congresswoman, Debbie Stabenow, she says that there needs to be, that we need to take non-legislative action to get health care reform pushed through. And the only non-legislative action, in other words, uh, since we, since for some reason the Democrats, they can't use their majority, they can't figure out how to use their majority uh, to get an initiative pushed through. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. They have, they have majority control. They have control of the legislative and executive branch and they still can't find it with two hands and a flashlight. I haven't seen such incompetence out of a party in, in a long, long time. Well, probably since the Republicans had control. Where they passed a lot of measures, it, they were just all bad measures. Uh, the Democrats can't even get their bad measures passed. And to make matters worse, they just blame the Republicans for it. They say it's the Republicans' fault. Uh, last I checked, you had a majority. Anyway, the bottom line here is... Uh, they want to take non-legislative action to get their measures passed. And what that means is Barack Obama may issue an executive order. Yes, an executive order to get things passed through. He might just uh, get health care pushed through by executive order. Well, that's the way to do it. If you can't get measures done through the normal procedure, just go ahead and abuse the powers of the president of the United States. Well, you already used your executive order to close down Guantanamo Bay. But then when you try to have those terrorists brought here to the United States, uh, Mayor Bloomberg says, wait, hold on a second. No, not, not here. And the state of Illinois says, uh, you know, hold on a second. We don't want to spend $500 million to upgrade our prisons to do it here either. See, there's consequences to using all of that power. Executive order to get health care pushed through. Why not? He may, by executive order, just use that. He could use executive order to do a lot of things, including bringing back the Fairness Doctrine, which Debbie Stabenow... The same congresswoman I've been talking about. That's another thing that she's on the bandwagon about. She is insisting that we get a um, some sort of fairness doctrine put in. Because God forbid that anybody be able to express their opinions unopposed. God forbid that if you don't like somebody's opinion on something, you can form your own. You can dispute it. Uh, for example, if you don't like what's being said on this podcast, you can either write or call me. Or you could start your own podcast and, and talk about uh, what a dirty, filthy scumbag I am. So there's there's that uh, to get into as well. So I, I want to talk about all that. And there's, there's a lot of other stuff happening as well. Some stupid news, including uh, apparently North Dakota can't, they can't pay people to come live in North Dakota. Literally. North, the state of North Dakota paid people to come and live there. And now uh, those people that they paid to come live there want out. 
And you know, that's fun because I lived in North Dakota. Okay. And you'll notice I used that in the past tense, but see, I, the thing about North Dakota, I, I lived there. Um, I was born in Minnesota, but shortly after my birth, we went uh, back to North Dakota. My family uh, spent four and a half years there. Uh, my parents actually lived in Grand Forks, North Dakota for a long time. Um, much of their adulthood they spent there before we moved to Phoenix in 1982. But, uh, and, and I have no problem with Grand Forks. As long as the river doesn't flood the city, it's beautiful. Um, when I was, uh, when I was a kid there, when I was, you know, four years old before we moved and when I went back to visit, it was always a very nice place. Um, people actually had their doors unlocked. It was a uh, relatively crime-free city. It was, it was a nice place. It really was. I'm serious. Um, you know, very green, uh, very lush and a very small town feel yet. You can still, you know, go out and do things and, and, um, you know, I, I, I liked it. Clear Channel owns every single station that's in Grand Forks, by the way. Should just point that out. I think they do. I don't know. So that's fine. Um, but now apparently, and this isn't Grand Forks. This is another place in North Dakota, Hazleton, North Dakota. They can't even pay people to come live there. That's how bad it is. So we'll talk a little bit about that and a whole lot more. There's, believe me, believe me, this is, uh, this, there's a lot to talk about um, on the uh, on the show, so we'll we'll get into all that and a lot more. But first, a break. I must negotiate a contract. I, I might actually have an income if I can get somebody. I, I'm trying to do contract negotiations while I do a podcast. This is fascinating stuff. I know, but. Uh, life is so complicated sometimes. And you wonder why I'm in therapy. Alright, we'll be back. It's Michael Groff in exile for a Tuesday. More coming up. with segment number two of Michael Graff in Exile for a Tuesday, February 16, 2010. We are the boxes in the ring. We are the bells. Mike at KMGX.com is our email and PayPal address. That's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Graff, show the screen name. 
also on Facebook. And more information about this program and such available at michaelgroff.com. get into this. Uh, first of all, last Friday, and I did sort of touch on it on the show, but I didn't really get too heavily into it. There was a luge accident the, uh, at the Olympic Games. They, You know, this luge, I guess the best way to describe the luge, it's a very dangerous sort of event. One that I really, I don't know if I would ever try to do um, well, I know I would. I would never do anything like that. I won't even go on. Uh, I won't even go skiing. Okay, because I think I think skiing is stupid, and I think people that get injured uh, skiing, I just think it's a, a needless injury. What you're going to go up on a mountain, you're going to go flying down the mountain at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, and then you're going to run into a tree, and if it doesn't kill you, you're going to break a leg or break an arm. And you're going to, well, you know, Mike, it, it was the experience of the whole thing. We we had a life experience. Yeah, well, uh, how was that life experience? How was that? You also got the life experience of going to the uh, the emergency room and paying an exorbitant cost to have your broken leg or broken arm fixed. And maybe you get to walk with a limp. Maybe you don't even get to walk anymore the rest of your life. Seems really worth it to me. So I won't even go skiing. Let alone, I wouldn't do anything stupid like the luge, but these people do it. They do it for no money. They do it just for the glory of their country, which I guess on one hand, I would find admirable. And on the other hand, I find that insanely dumb. But regardless, this this guy from uh, Georgia, not the state of Georgia, but the, the, the nation, the country of Georgia, is going on a, on a practice event down this uh, luge. And he loses control of it. Now, how I would describe the the sled or the the apparatus that they use for the luge, it's basically, well, I heard somebody describe it once as like going down a hill at 80 miles an hour on a cafeteria tray. That's pretty much, that's what it's like. There's really, there's no protection at all. You're going down ostensibly like head first. And um, it's just like a bobsled is, is dangerous too. But even that has a little bit more protection. You're a little bit better guided and shielded uh, than, than you are in the luge. That's just crazy. So this guy's flying down 80 miles an hour. He loses control of it, and he goes right into a steel support beam. Now, uh, it, was a, it was a faulty track. It was a, it was a con- conditions where they should never have been going down this hill in the first place. Uh, the, the steel uh, girder, the steel support that he hit, it has no uh, padding on it. Not that it would matter. He hit it at 80 miles an hour. I don't care if, if you run into a a pile of cotton. If you run into a bunch of feather pillows at 80 miles an hour, you're going to have trouble. So he hits this and he's killed uh, pretty much instantaneously. And over the weekend, uh, they show this video. It's a just a, a chilling video. If you see it, you just see this guy just... Uh, and, and listen, when you, when you watch the luge on TV, when you watch this kind of event, guys just go by... It's, it's over that fast. They just go by that quickly. So they have these cameras that were set up and why there, there's video of this. Of course, there's video of everything nowadays, but they have cameras at every turn, at every possible place there can be. These are HD cameras that are taking state-of-the-art HD pictures at 30 frames a second or whatever it is. And uh, you see this guy, he comes in, and even if you slow it down, 
He's only on camera for a few frames and he comes in and, and you can't actually fully see it, but he, he hits right into this beam and you know that he's dead or you know that he's injured real bad. And so, and of course they're showing it like on Friday, they just showed this thing over and over and over again, just um, the, the horrifying video and it was on the internet and it was everywhere. And then they decided to kind of uh, back off from showing it over the weekend. Although it was up on YouTube, NBC says, listen, they, they got a hold of YouTube, which is owned by Google, and they said, you can't run this. Take this off immediately. This is copyrighted material of NBC and the Olympic Games, the International Olympic Committee, blah, blah, blah. But of course... Uh, every time YouTube tries to take it down, somebody else puts it back up and it's everywhere. Uh, there are websites where any video that's been removed from YouTube, there are websites that have uh, those videos. So you can see it if you really have the morbid curiosity of wanting to go see it. And that's part of the problem. That's uh, what our society has devolved into sort of. We are, we look at uh, videos like this as it's a new form of porn. It's probably... If there were more incidents like this, if there were more uh, video deaths, if there were more video accidents that are going on, it would be bigger than porn. People are more fascinated with watching other people suffer and die than they are with watching pornography. They really are. People are more fascinated with misery than they are with pleasure. At least that's, that's been my theory for a long time, and I think it's been substantiated by the fact that this was one of the most popular videos on YouTube on Friday before it was taken down. And it's one of the most popular videos on the internet, period. So <clears throat> Canada really screwed up. Now, Canada screwed up the opening ceremonies too. That's something else we should get into. They, they had problems with these, uh, with these automatic uh, torches, uh, these pillars that were supposed to come up and Steve Nash and Wayne Gretzky were there trying to light these things. They had, they had a ton of problem with the opening ceremonies and, and the music that was just on a loop continuously because they couldn't get these, these damn pillars to come up. It was, a, it was a really bad display. Canada has not had a very good run with these Olympic Games. Um, they had it in Vancouver. They had problems with the, with the amount of snow. And of course, the global warming people are saying, see, see, look, there's, there's not enough snow. It's all slushy. The, the weather is bad. Well, look, um, you hold it in a maritime province. I mean, Vancouver is a, as far as Canadian cities go, is a relatively mild sort of temperate climate. This would not, this was not a good place to hold the Olympic Games. Anyway, the bottom line to all this is, though, that with this uh, with this luge uh, situation, they screwed up real bad on this track. But Canada has already come out with their tort reform. They've already come out. They've said, listen, don't come to us. Don't you even think about suing us. Don't even try this. And the media, of course, they got a hold of the family of this guy, this guy from Georgia that died. They went over to, uh, they, they couldn't get to Georgia fast enough to uh, find the family of this guy. And they shoved a camera in their faces. And of course, you see the, you see the uh, the family relatives just crying. They're sobbing like crazy on TV, and the media just eats that up. But they were they were not happy. But Canada says, "Don't even try to sue. We're not taking any responsibility. This has nothing to do with us. Don't even try to come after us. We're we're not going to have any of it." So that's Canada's uh, very heartfelt sort of uh, sympathetic ear that they're listening. Uh, they they don't take any responsibility here, even though some people say it could be their fault. You know, I'd be very fascinated to hear what uh, Canadian talk shows are uh, saying about this, what uh, people in Canada are saying, except here's the thing. I wonder how much they're even allowed to talk about it. You know, in Canada, they don't have the First Amendment like we do. 
They're not covered under the guise of the First Amendment like we are here in the United States. They don't have an equivalent to the First Amendment necessarily. The CRTC, which is the Canadian equivalent of the FCC, they can come in and they can tell a radio station what they can and cannot talk about any time. They can do that, and uh, they've done it before, and they can certainly do it again. And in this situation, this is something, you know, you got, a, you got somebody that died. You have a, a very embarrassing situation for the entire nation of Canada, and they can say, you know what? You know what? We, we don't want you to talk about this. Don't. And under penalty, uh, you're pretty much obligated as a, as a talk show host there to say, all right, getting my marching orders from the government. Daddy government says I can't talk about it, so I can't. Anyway, it's just a terrible, terrible situation that uh, went on uh, up there in Canada. I don't really, I'm not following the uh, the games, really. I'm not following the medal count. I don't really care. Uh, maybe the fact that it's in Canada, maybe I'm a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know what the word, maybe embittered or, or, or just scornful at Canada anyway, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. All right, uh, so there's there's that. That's uh, the big story there. And I would not look for any kind of uh, legal ramifications to this because Canada can just say, we're not going to have any of it. Which part of me kind of admires them for that. And part of me thinks that that's just atrocious and outrageous, especially when it's a case where they're, uh, from everything I'm reading, there clearly is some fault here. There's clearly some blame to be had by whoever put this together. And nope, can't sue them can't do anything there's there's no repercussions so if you screw up it's okay so there's that all right Ahmadinejad said there could be war in Iran by uh, this summer but is the uh, Israelis uh, are, are are looking for war and the Iranians are going to give them that war damn it uh, Ahmadinejad he's out of control uh, once again he's just uh, writing checks that his um, his butt can't cash and here's uh, sort of the um, sort of the latest. Ahmadinejad said, quote, according to information we have, they, referring to Israel, are seeking to start a war this spring or summer, although their decision is not final yet. Uh, this is Ahmadinejad quoting a source that's very close to him. And uh, I, I guess uh, that would be, um, I don't know, either his left or right hemisphere of his brain. I'm not sure which. But uh, one of those two, I'm sure, made up this, this idea, quote, but the resistance and regional states will uh, finish them if, they f if this fake regime does anything again, the hardliner said at a press conference. When asked about ongoing efforts to, um, to reconcile ties between Arabs and Israel, which, of course, as we all know, is never going to happen. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu dismissed Ahmadinejad's claim of a war during a visit Tuesday to Russia. Quote, we are not planning any war, uh, Netanyahu said in Moscow, uh, following talks with Russian Prime Minister uh, Vladimir Putin. I would say, um, if I were uh, Netanyahu, I would say, uh, no, we're not planning any war. We're just going to blow their nuclear program to little bits and pieces. We're going to scatter that all across the Middle East. Otherwise, though, we're not planning any kind of war. We're not going to blow them up. We're just going to blow up their nuclear program, period. That's what I'd say. Quote, they are doing different manipulations, Netanyahu said. Well, I would say so. Quote, I would not be surprised if these things we are hearing now 
are the result of the Iranian feelings ahead of the impending United Nations Security Council discussions on sanctions. Well, of course, that's what it has to do with. The Iranians are not happy about this. They're trying to gen up any kind of scandal, any kind of rumor that they can uh, possible. I don't know. The, the idea of sanctions against the Iranians, we've talked about that. Uh, that's, um, that's going nowhere. That's absolutely going nowhere. Rapidly, I might point out. And then uh, there's this. This is another weird story. This is just sort of uh, from the stupid news file. There's a town in North Dakota that actually paid people to come and live there. Yes, they were going to pay you to come and live in North Dakota and only one family bought into it. What I find most interesting about this story is only one family and they want to get out of there now. <laughs> North Dakota, the, the, the truth is North Dakota can't even pay people to come and live there. Now, as somebody, now I, I have to tell you, I love North Dakota and my mom is from North Dakota originally. My dad was from North Dakota. Um, uh, they grew up there. Uh, I was born in uh, Crookston, Minnesota, right over the border. And then I lived uh, the first four and a half years of my life in North Dakota. Much of my family's still there. My, my grandma Berg, for example, she lives in Walhalla. Uh, I have family that lives in Fargo and uh, they used to live in Langdon. I, I have family uh, in North Dakota. So I, I, I'm, this is not me dissing North Dakota necessarily. I don't know if I'd ever really live there, but in, in, in some respects, it's, um, well, I mean, it's no different from Phoenix in a, in a way. It's just that instead of uh, six months of, uh, of relentless heat, it's six months of relentless cold up there. And it's just, it's unbearable. And the fact that, you know, in Phoenix, you have, uh, at least you have lots of stuff that you could do, theoretically, if you were into doing a lot of things. There's, there's certainly a lot of people. There's a lot of places to go, things to do, things to see, blah, blah, blah. In North Dakota, there's really nothing to do and nothing to see and no places to go. Yeah, you could go around from Dickinson all the way over to Jamestown to Grand Forks, Grafton, Rugby, North Dakota. You could see the geographical center of North America, which is in their town square. See, now I know everything about the attractions of North Dakota. You could go to Williston. You could go anywhere you want in North Dakota, okay? But here's the problem. There ain't nothing to see there. It's flat. It's, it's, sometimes it's green. The western part of the state is more brown. But anyway, it's, it's flat and, and sort of green in the summer. And it's, it's snow covered and dead in the winter. And that's pretty much what it is. And if the, if the damn Red River doesn't overflow and, and flood out Fargo and Grand Forks and every city along the way, uh, and, and kill a bunch of people, then it's probably an okay place to go to in the spring also. Yeah, there, there isn't anything to do there. Uh, you're going to get eaten alive by mosquitoes in the summer, especially uh, near the rivers. Um, you know, uh, so I don't know what else to tell you. Bismarck, look, I, it's fine. It's just that if you want to raise a family, it's a fine place to raise a family. If you want your family to not really have anything to do, but as far as crime or anything, it's relatively low crime, although I've been reading that uh, crime statistics, crime is actually up there. I don't know why. I guess there's nothing else to do, so I guess you might as well start killing people. <laughs> nothing to do. I guess we'll just rob a house or two. That's fine, I guess. So um, there's a town called Hazleton, North Dakota. It's located about 45, uh, it's a 45-minute drive away from Bismarck. 
I've never been to Hazleton. I've been over uh, much of central and eastern North Dakota. I, I I think one time I went out to the western part of the state, but I, I, I can't, I, I don't know uh, every uh, square inch of the state, but um, it's a, it's a, it's a tiny town. In fact, it's so small, they don't even have a traffic light there. Okay, and then uh, Michael and Jeanette Tristani, they moved here from Miami. They moved to uh, Hazleton, North Dakota from Miami. They have two 12-year-olds. They have, two, they have, a, they have a, a set of twins, 12 years old, and now they're trying to move back to Miami. Now, they originally moved there because they were tired of the, tra- the crime, the traffic, the hurricanes, the high cost of living in Florida. So they moved four years ago to Hazleton. Now, this was interesting. Michael Tristani, 42, said that in the time, uh, the 1,800-mile move was an answer to his prayers. Quote, we don't have to look over our shoulder to see who's going to rob us or jump out of the bushes to attack us, Tristani said. Taxes are low, the cost of living is low, and the kids enjoy school. That's great. And they moved there because um, the town actually offered them free land and cash if they moved there. So not only are you going to get some money, but they're going to give you free land. Here, here's a plot of land in North Dakota. It probably is worth, uh, uh, it's probably worth five 5,000 bucks. I mean, I, God knows what it's actually worth. There might be oil under it though. But anyway, uh, he's the, the, this is what happened. The Hazelman Development Corporation, um, formed by a determined group of citizens, began running ads in 2005 offering families up to two free lots and up to $20,000 toward home purchases. Businesses have offered free lots up to $50,000 and setting up shop in town. Besides cash and free land, Hazelton had little else to offer except uh, elbow room surrounded by flat farmland and livestock and century old town. Uh, the century old town boasts three churches, a bank, a grain elevator, and a bar. Like many small towns across rural America, the once thriving farming community began shrinking as residents moved or, uh, or passed away. Tom Weiser, who is one of the city leaders, uh, behind the project to lure residents said that Hazleton had hundreds of inquiries from around the world when the community's proposal made headlines across the country. Uh, several families from other states visited the town, but only the Tristanis made the co- uh, commitment to actually move. Quote, not everybody fits in in a small town, said Weiser, who works as a baker at the Walmart in Bismarck, which is about 45 miles away. Hay bales, a gas station, and a graveyard greet visitors as they roll into Hazleton off the state highway. Michael Tristani came from his uh, native Florida wearing gold necklaces and a Rolex and driving a Lexus. He proved as foreign as a flamingo in a place where pickups, farm caps, and flannel shirts are the decor. Quote, people thought I was a drug dealer, he said. Tristani said he was prepared for Hazleton's bitter winters when wind chills can reach 50 degrees below zero and snow drifts are measured in feet. Quote, people prejudge you without getting to know you. J. 
Jennifer Tristani said. The couple bought a house built by students at an American Indian college in Bismarck. The home was moved to town and put in uh, two lots donated by the city. The Tristanis bought a third lot and were later given $15,000. Tristani, a former grocery worker, and his wife, a former real estate agent, opened a bistro and coffee shop, but within weeks of moving to the city, the people petitioned for a restraining order against the owners of another coffee shop. The Tristanis uh, allege one of the owners drove by their house yelling obscenities and threatening to damage the family's new home. So uh, they did not, they were not very uh, welcome there because they were a, a somewhat well-to-do family. They were a wealthier family that wanted to move away from, um, from, the, uh, from the big city. They wanted to get away from all the problems. They wanted to move to this tiny town in North Dakota and they found that the locals were not very receptive to them. Now, which is weird because I've always found the people of North Dakota to be, uh, to be good people, to be nice people. But I guess, hey, listen, there's douchebags everywhere. From the biggest city to the smallest towns, uh, douchebags are apparently prominent everywhere. Bev Voller, a member of the nonprofit development group, um, what is this? This is the, I don't know. This is, I guess, the Center for Rural Affairs. Said the incentives were funded largely through private money. Much of it was given by, quote, an anonymous donor. But she says the cash thing is over now. So I guess it's probably not a great place to go now. I suppose that if you're, uh, if you're a family that lives up there in uh, beautiful Hazleton, North Dakota, it's uh, the incentive to move there probably isn't uh, so good anymore. Boy, you better get the hell out of here and all. Don't you know? We don't want you with your Lexus and your, you're probably a drug dealer and all. Somebody, if you make $100,000 in the state of North Dakota, you're like the richest guy in the state. Everybody looks up to you. But if you come in from out of state with that kind of money, they think that something suspicious. Nobody with more than $100,000 is going to come to North Dakota. No. Telling you. People there, it's weird. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, people are very trusting and very open. But if you come from like out of state... Um, especially if you're kind of more of a well-to-do, if either you're a very rich or a very poor person or you're black, um, they're going to question you and you're going to, you're going to find that you're, that you're being watched all the time and that people are not as open to you as, as you'd like. Well, I'm just, I'm telling you how it is. The people in the Midwest are very good people, unless of course you're black and then, um, not, they're, there, there's racism uh, definitely uh, runs kind of thick. Actually, the people that are uh, that that North Dakotans and that not just North Dakotans, but the people that are, are trusted least there are the Native Americans. Um, there's there's definitely some bitterness uh, toward those folks up there. I wonder how many casinos they have. I wonder if they have as many as they do here. Jesus. All right. On that note. <laughs> I suppose I'll take a break. We'll come back. We've got a couple of comments that people have uh, written to me uh, about the shows. Uh, we'll address that. 
maybe a couple of other things we'll uh, talk about. We'll wrap up here. We'll call it a uh, we'll call it a nice day. We'll call it a show. I don't even know how long this show has been uh, thus far, but uh, we'll do all that. I, I've got to um, I've got to get to that. It's one of those things. It's it's weird doing this show now that I'm doing it in in sort of an unconventional time. I just sort of come in here, I record it whenever, and I just keep talking until I decide not to anymore, which is kind of what I did with the old show, but at least it had a it had a hard start time. And there was a more there was a, a live audience. Whereas right now I'm just looking at well, I'm looking at, at messages that people send me, but it's not really a live audience. There's no live feel to it, which I, I definitely miss, and I would really love to do the show live. It's just that I'd have, actually have to have people around uh, that are going to listen to it when it's on live. So I'd have to have, um, I don't know, there'd, there'd have to definitely be some interest uh, there. That was one of the, that's generally, actually, that's the comment I get most often is, when are you going to bring the show back live? And the answer I have to that is when people want to listen to it live. If we actually get some interaction, if we can get some people that, that would participate in everything, I, I would love to do it live again. But, you know, the way it is now, there's, it's just a small audience. It's just a few of us here gathered around to listen to, uh, to me talk essentially to myself. So since it's a, a smaller audience now, I don't know if, uh, if a live show is really in the cards. Anyway, Mike at KMGX.com. That's the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. That's also the PayPal address so you can send a generous donation to this program. I promise it'll help me out. And... Uh, I got bills. Sometimes I feel I got uh, I got problems and not much income. I'm like a lot of you. However it may roll. Give it a spin. See if you can somehow factor in. You know there's always All right, this is Michael Graff in exile. We'll be back. segment of Michael Graff in Exile for a Tuesday. Mike at KMGX.com. That's the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Graff Show, the screen name. It's also the PayPal address. I am... Sort of shamelessly giving that out and just throwing it out there. Why not? It's just to pay the bills, all right? 
want to come on here and have to do that speech where I quit on the air. And I say, I'm never doing podcasts again. That reminds me of that, of that jock that quit on the air. That was great. Well, there's been a couple of them, but uh, the one that's most memorable is the one in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, I think. She couldn't stand getting paid $6 an hour after six years, so she quit. And I, I don't blame you. But then I say, $6 an hour on radio, that's that's actually doing pretty well. I wonder what they pay in Hazleton, North Dakota. I wonder if we still have that clip of her quitting on the air. Hold on, let me... Uh, I know we had that on the other hard drive on the other computer, but... That's not on the network, uh, so let me see if I can... Uh, here it is. This is just one of those one of those uh, memories, one of those things we have to flash back to. Here it is. This is the woman uh, quitting on the air. Uh, this wasn't some bid. This is... Here it is. Here for, but for new listeners, this is... Uh, this is always good. The big station, 93BLX. It is the Gulf Coast number one for hip-hop and R&B. And now with Ray Ray and Miranda, the home team in the morning. Do it to it. What better song to do it to it? It's our net of the mood set. And I told yeah. you I had a very important announcement. Yeah. And here it is. I on and watch people on my job, looking over my shoulder. People lying to me, people talking about me. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is sad. Mm. I can't take it. I'm not gonna take it. <laughs> I don't have to take it. I'm not a dummy. I know how to find another job, but I refuse to walk around people. You can say what you wanna say about me, and if you see me on the street, I'll let you know whatever. Yeah, six years I made six dollars an hour. That Damn. ain't nothing. I just got a raise after More six More than what I make. Years. I know I'm qualified, and after saying this, I don't care if I ever get another job in radio, period. Yeah. It does not matter to me. And I don't think you did. We, I never will not be setting the mood at BLX no more. I refuse to walk around with people that are speaking. But then as soon as you walk by that bitch, I will not do it to myself anymore. So if you're confused about what I'm saying, listen very carefully. I quit this bitch. On the big station, 93 BLX. On the big station. Actually, uh, I and Edit would be the perfect mood setter for 2010. Well, with the Obama policies and everything, she could be... That's that's probably what's going fired from this bitch. That's pretty much how it is. All right, so the, I just had to dig that up. A little, a little flashback, a little blast from the past. What, what year was that from? Like 2004? How many years ago was that? You know, it was weird. I was going through some old, uh, some old shows and some old things the other day. You know, what's weird is... Uh, the song, uh, there's certain songs that I, I listen to and I go, man, that song is already five years old. You know that song uh, by the girl? song is already five years old. That song came out in uh, in 2005. It's so weird how quickly uh, time flies. Um, Yeah, this song. I like this song, but it's weird. It's, it's already five years ago that this song was out. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. I don't even... 
What happened there? I don't know. This computer's all weird. Let me just do this before we uh, before we get out of here. Um, so there's a, I guess uh, this this is another uh, weird incident of too fat to fly. You know, Southwest Airlines. I love Southwest, and I've been an advocate for Southwest Airlines for quite some time. They've got it right. Uh, first of all, they're uh, they're business savvy. Their business acumen the last uh, ten to fifteen years has been outstanding. Uh, while other companies were scrambling to get fuel and uh, to try and um, nickel and dime passengers with various costs, Southwest doesn't have to because they locked in their fuel contract at a very low rate when gas prices got ridiculously out of control. So Southwest Airlines was all set. They, uh, they, Their CEO, whoever their CEO was at that time, did an outstanding job with the company. They're one of the few airlines that operates in the black consistently. Uh, for the most part, when others are, are struggling. So I, I'm a fan of Southwest Airlines to, to some degree. Um, they have their bags fly free and everything like that. However, I will say that one of their policies they have is um, fat asses don't fly with us, basically, is their policy. Or if they do, they have to pay fly free, but your rolls of fat do not. That's been the longstanding policy of Southwest Airlines. Well, so here it is in a nutshell. Um, Southwest had another incident of another fat ass that tried to fly and they said, I'm sorry, sir, but you can't. We can't accommodate someone of your uh, of your carriage on this airline. But this time it wasn't just some nobody. It was a Hollywood director, more specific. Kevin Smith, the director uh, who produced uh, Clerks, Small Rats, Jay and Silent Bob, all those movies, Dogma. Kevin Smith, the director, uh, they, they, he got on the plane he sat down, and then somebody approached him and said, I'm sure that the, the flight attendants were like, oh, my God, it's Kevin Smith. Oh, it's Kevin Smith. That's the, that's the silent bomb, dude. Well, well, he's he's too fat. He can't be on the plane. He can't do it. The pilot's like, well, what's going on out there? Listen, I have to fly. We'll kick him off the damn plane. Well, it's, it's Kevin Smith, though, sir. We can't just throw Kevin Smith off the plane. Well, you better throw him off the damn plane, or else we're not taking off. Until Wide Load over there gets off the plane. I don't care if it's Silent Bob, Silent J, Silent... I don't care. He's fat. He's not on my plane. So anyway, they threw him off the plane. And within, um, within like, uh, a couple of hours... Look, anyway, he had generated a bunch of, uh, of responses uh, to where Southwest Airlines, um, it didn't take long, and they were getting hammered. And uh, which is just amazing, but I guess I guess Kevin Smith has that much of a following on the internet. Listen, I love Kevin Smith. Don't get me wrong; this is not a slam on Kevin Smith. Um, I just I guess he generated enough response. Southwest Airlines said, "Oh well, <laughs> normal fat asses. We are prepared to offer you an apology. We are sincerely uh, our our deepest, most heartfelt apologies." And here, sir, here it is: a voucher for. For one hundred dollars, <laughs> it's a voucher for a hundred bucks for any Southwest Airlines flight. Uh, blackout restrictions may apply. So they give they give Kevin Smith a hundred dollars, and he says, "You you know, um, you can take your bags fly free, and you can fly that seven forty seven uh, straight with the sun don't shine, and take your hundred dollar voucher with you." So good for Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith uh, stood up to Southwest Airlines. He said, screw you guys. Um, uh, screw your company. Screw you and uh, the horse you rode in on. Um, normally, my response to anybody that has a problem with the, with the you know, see is lose the weight. But 
I don't know. I have you been on an airline lately? I mean, I know they're they're trying to they're they're narrowing the seats. They're doing everything they can to pack more people on, and of course, they're nickel and diming you to death with the um with the uh, cost per bags and everything like that. It it's getting ridiculous. And Southwest doesn't do that. Be where even normal people, it's it's hard to fly. And with sixty percent of America being obese, I'm amazed that anybody's able to get on a plane anymore. I'm amazed that they let anybody travel and just have to get one seat, uh, sir. Um, you're just you're gonna have to buy two seats. In fact, all of you are gonna have to buy two seats. We're gonna have to get. We're gonna have to start building special planes. We're gonna have to add uh, more engines to the planes to get these damn things off the ground. Moo moo all across the country. Unbelievable. All right. So Kevin Smith is too fat to fly. That's too bad. You know, I, I, again, I love Kevin Smith and, um, but I will say dude probably should lose some weight. I mean, I know that that's sort of his shtick and I know that that's kind of, you know, he's the big fat director and everything like that, but maybe, maybe this is a wake up call. I'm just saying and I love his movies, but you know, I'm just, maybe, maybe it's time to, to knock off a couple of pounds. Just a suggestion, you know? <laughs> On the other hand, I don't know. That's what to make of all that. Nice job, Southwest. That's, that's some good publicity. Kicking a Hollywood director off your planes. The one air, can you believe it? The one airliner, the one airline company that, that, you know, actually makes a prop. Uh, they, they screw up too. I wonder why the airline industry is struggling so badly. I can't figure it out. All right. Well, that's about it. Uh, that's another edition of uh, Michael Graf in Exile. Um, we'll, uh, we'll come back. We'll reconvene. We'll regroup for tomorrow. I just... <laughs> I, I wonder... I, I didn't look at, um, at Kevin Smith's Twitter. I really should. You know, to this day, I still... Twitter. I kind of wear it as a badge of honor that I've never been on Twitter. I kind of like that. I'm, I, I kind of think it's, I'm, I'm sort of in the cool crowd because I haven't gone on Twitter. I've read excerpts of, of tweets. I've certainly heard all about what's going on on Twitter. I hear it's on the news a lot, this Twitter thing. I'm just, wow, what's, what's going on here? All right, probably best to end the show. Because things are getting a little out of hand. <laughs> I don't know. I got I got some weird, I don't know, something weird's going on over here. I have to look into this. I'll have to see what it is. All right, Mike at KMGX.com. EFnet IRC. <laughs> Ready to the channel. This thing all right? Is this thing going to blow up? I don't know. I really, I... I I don't even know anymore. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Kevin Smith's too fat to fly and my computer's uh, combining in here and they're all too inept to operate properly. All right. Good night. <laughs>